You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. You to find a seat as the back doors shut and we trap you in. Hey, if uh, if we kept a uh, like a rewards chart here, which we don't, but you know, like you get like a star for uh, behavior, you would all get a star for being here on Memorial Day weekend. Just want you to know that this is the elite, or it's the people that just don't have lake houses or know anybody with a lake house. I'm not sure which one, but either way, it is great having you today. My name is Jared. Uh, I am one of the uh, pastors here at Fellowship, and uh, on behalf of the pastors and the members, we want to welcome you uh, this morning on Memorial Day weekend. It is actually a historic morning for us because from the very beginning of our existence, which has been uh, almost four years, we have always wanted to be a church that plants churches, and this morning, we officially become that church. Uh, We become a church that plants churches. And in just a moment, Rusty is going to come forward, our church planner, and he is going to share a little bit about his journey from East Tennessee here over the last couple years and then back uh, to East Tennessee with his wife to plant Matthew's table, and he's going to share the vision of that, and then we're going to lay hands on him and pray for him and send him off. Um, And uh, before he does that, I want to take some time just to share the why behind why we plant churches. Because this is incredibly important, and it involves you. And in order to really kind of tell you why we are this type of church, we kind of need to go back to the beginning in Genesis 3. And I'm going to throw a verse up on the screen for you in just a moment. But in Genesis 3, God had just created the world good. It was rhythmic. It was beautiful. It was as it should be. Adam and Eve were placed in the center of this garden. Everything they did created delight and joy and worship in their heart towards God. Unfortunately, though, though they were only given one rule not to eat of a tree that God had placed in the garden, they could not obey the rule. They were deceived by the serpent, and they began to believe the lie that they knew more about how life works than God himself, that God was holding back on them. And so they ate of this fruit, and immediately, the Bible says, sin entered into the world and fractured everything. So now, because of this instance, right, we have death and disease. We have destruction and dysfunction, all because sin has entered into this world. And I want you to place yourself in the place of God. I mean, here's a God who is eternal. He is not in need of anything. God did not create humans because he was lonely, but simply because he wanted to share in his goodness with humankind. And humankind, his creation, sin against him. They rebel against him. And rather than God saying, you know what? Forget you then. Forget you. If you're not going to obey me, then, then I'll just demolish all of you. What does God do? He comes to Adam and Eve, and he begins to call them out of hiding. He doesn't come to crush them. He comes to give them life, again, to point them towards what they were created to experience. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I believe we can put it on the screen for you. God is talking to the serpent, to Satan, and there's a passage in here which we often look over, but here's a promise that he makes right here in Genesis 3. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, I'm going to create war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And then look at this. This is interesting. He says, you will strike his heel, 
But he, speaking of one, will come and he will crush your head. He will defeat sin. He will crush death and the power of sin in your life and begin to make things right again. And you know who this is? As we fast forward to the New Testament, we see this promise that was made thousands of years earlier is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Who comes, and we talk about this each week, he lived a perfect life that none of us has lived. At fellowship, we say this often, one thing that we all have in common together is that we're a bunch of imperfect people standing in need of one perfect Savior together, right? And so if you're here and you're imperfect, you belong here. Welcome, right? Right? That's what we are. We're imperfect people who stand in need of the perfection of Jesus Christ. And he came and he fulfilled the righteous and holy requirement of God that we can never fulfill. And then he went to the cross and he died, as we just talked about, a criminal's death. He went and he died the death we deserve to die for our sin. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. But Jesus came and he paid that penalty for us. He died in our place. He took on the wrath of God and then three days later, right though he went to the grave, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell so that now whenever we trust in Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection we can stand before God now holy and blameless and accepted, experiencing the life that we were created to experience and all long for. This is the beautiful news of the gospel. And my hope is that if you have not trusted in Jesus, if you have not surrendered your life to Him, that today will be the day where you do that, that you will experience that good news for yourself. But you see, this is not all the gospel. A lot of times we stop there and we say, okay, well, that's the gospel, the end, see you later. But what I want you to see is if you have been a recipient of the gospel, you're now to be a participant in the gospel. You see, in John chapter 20, verse 21... After Jesus got out of the grave and accomplished everything that he set out to accomplish, he stood before his disciples and he said to them, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. They probably needed that because Jesus just got out of the grave. So like, holy cow, like, is this a ghost? Like, what in the world is going on here? Peace be with you. And then look what he says next. This is absolutely insane. Jesus says this, As the Father has sent me, even so am I now sending you. This would have blown the minds of the disciples. Think about this. They have just spent the last three years with Jesus. They have watched him heal the sick, raise the dead, feed the poor, and proclaim the truth. And then not only that, they watched as he went and laid down his very life for all of mankind by dying on a cross. And then he looks at them and he says, now... Just as the Father has sent me to do all of that, now I am sending you likewise. And then Jesus knows that this is a mission that is impossible for us. And so in verse 22, we cannot miss this. What happens next is he says, after he said, just as I'm sending you, or just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, it says that he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, sent by the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do all that He has done to bring us from being far from God into a right relationship with Him, says, now I am going to, if you are my follower, send you the same Holy Spirit that empowered me to live on mission to now empower you to live on mission. 
And that is why in Matthew 28, I think it's so important in verse 19, whenever Jesus gives us the great commission, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, what's that all about? We've talked about it the last three weeks. We talked about a couple weeks ago how being baptized in the name of the Father is a reminder that we are no longer enemies of God. We are His beloved children. We are sons and daughters of God. And we are loved by the Father with the same affection that He loves Jesus Christ, His own Son. And if we are children of God, we talked about how that means we're brothers and sisters in Christ, so we are now family. That's who we are now. We're to love each other in the way that God has loved us. And we are baptized in the name of the Son. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ is our King. We are no longer a slave to sin. We are a servant to Jesus. And one way that we serve Jesus is by serving others in His name. And then being baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, we're reminded that, that not just are we family, not just are we servants, but we say being baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit reminds us all that we are missionaries. That we are sent ones. Sent out in the power of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus famous in this city and beyond. That is why in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, we can read it together. Jesus, right before he ascends to go to his father, he says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart. Talking to the disciples, do not depart from Jerusalem. But he says, wait. Wait for what? Wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus said to the disciples, hey, I'm sending you out on mission. I'm sending you out as my ambassadors, as my witnesses. But then he says to them, hey, 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 before you take off and go like take on, you know, hell with a water pistol. Right? He says, wait. Right? Especially you, Peter. I can see him being like, wait, like you will blow this whole thing up if you take off. He says, hang on. Because I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit first. And then in verse 8, what does he say? If we don't have it, I'll just quote it. I'll tell you. You can take my word for it. He says, for you will receive the Holy Spirit. And when you do, you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. There it is. And to the ends of the earth. Do you hear that? You will, Christian, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? So you can just like impress people and be like, check out my power. Right? No. You will receive power for what purpose? So that you can be Jesus' witnesses to the world. So that you can be light. You can be salt. So that you can take the gospel forward. So that other people can experience this, Jesus. What I want you to hear this morning is this. If you don't walk away with anything else, hear this. Christian, look right at me. If you have been saved by Jesus, you have been sent by Jesus. You cannot divorce your being saved from your being sent on a mission. Do you understand if you have given your life to Jesus, you sit here today as a missionary of Jesus. You sit here today as a sent one, sent out to make him known to the world around you. This is not varsity Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. That is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll put it on the screen for you, verse 17. I think we'll put it on the screen for you. Do we have that one? 
There it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. That means they have a new identity. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And then look at this. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the same ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting us. Here it is again, the same message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you hear that? Paul says you are a new creation. You have a new identity. You are a Christian, an ambassador of Christ. You are his missionary. What that means, guys, is listen, we have got to take this mindset, all of us in here. This is not just for pastors. This is not just for like the weird people who go over to Africa and have like mosquito tents and like, you know, just kind of like, you know, the, 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 the super Christian people. All of us in here, guys, we are encountering people every single day who are far from God. Do you realize there are people outside these walls right now who are dying and they are lost without hope? And how will they ever know about the hope? How will they ever know the truth that will set them free if we do not embrace who we really are in the power of the Spirit? Missionaries of God sent out to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples so that every man, woman, and child can experience the real resurrected King Jesus and as a result experience not only salvation, but the satisfaction and the life they are longing for. That is why we exist. And I just want to ask you today, what possibly could be better to give your life to than this? Tell me if you know of any, what is a better mission to give your life to than this? You realize today, like, everybody in here is on mission. Do you understand that? Like, we all have a mission. For some of you, your mission is to be, like, the best video game player of all time. It really is. I know some people that give their lives to that stuff. Or the best fantasy baseball player, whatever. For some of you, like your mission in life is just like to get your kids out of the house. Right? To make sure they stay alive long enough to go to college and then hopefully pay their own bills whenever they're 33. Right? For some of you, like your mission in life is just to go work more hours, to get more money. So you can buy more stuff. What are you going to do with that stuff when you get it? I don't know, but that's your mission. For some of you, your mission is to try to live it up, to experience as little suffering and as much fun as you can while you are here. I want you to realize that mission, every other mission out there, pales in comparison to this mission that God has invited us into. God's mission is unstoppable. God's mission is life-changing, and it impacts not just this life, but an eternity. That is why there is no mission that is more life-giving. There is no mission that is more exciting, more worthy of your time, energy, and resources than the mission that God has called you and I to be a part of. For all of us in here, and I'm going to throw this graphic on the screen for you, and you can laugh at my drawings if you want to. But... um, We all find ourselves in one of these four quadrants. And I know you probably can't read that, so let me explain it to you. But in the top left quadrant is where some of you find yourself right now. 
These are people who I would say are committed to a high invite but low cost life. And what I mean by that is they are committed to trying to find fun, committed to try to find adventure, right? But they do not want to sacrifice anything for it, right? They, they, everything is about them. And what I would say is this is a life that compares to basically just watching a movie at the IMAX theater on Mount Everest. It's kind of fun, right? Just get your popcorn, get your drink. Right? Pretty cool life. Don't cost you anything. Pretty interesting. For some of you are right now. For others, I would say you're in the bottom left quadrant. I would call this a low-cost, low-invite life. These are people who basically live a life that I would compare to searching Google images of Mount Everest all day long. Doesn't really cost you anything, but it's not really that cool either. These are people who won't take risk. These are people who won't step out in faith. These are people who will not make a sacrifice. And so because of it, they live a pretty boring life. Pretty much just their disposition. Like, I'm just bored with my life, just discontent. For some of you are this morning. For others of you, you are in the bottom right quadrant. You are someone who I would say you have given your life to a lot. You are constantly busy. You are constantly giving your time and your money and your resources and your energy away to something. But at the end of the day, you're not even really sure what that's all about. And you look and you say, I'm exhausted. And I don't even know what I really accomplished in the grand scheme of things. And I would say, if this is your life, it sucks. And I'm sorry if that word offends you. I was reminded this morning when I was, as I was putting this in this. My mom used to always tell me, Jared, don't say sucks. Right? That was very offensive to my parents. I'm sorry if it offends you. But if there's ever a time to say it sucks, this sucks. Right here. That life sucks. It really does. There's no other word to describe it. You're just giving so much time. And I mean, your, your calendar, your schedule, your budget is just going into something over and over and over. And you're like, man, I'm exhausted. And I don't feel like I've accomplished anything, really. That's where some of us are today. What Jesus wants to call us to is the fourth quadrant. By the way, the third quadrant, I would compare to basically your life is like doing a thousand-page book report on the geological imaginings of Mount Everest. Okay? takes a whole lot of time, and you're like, why am I even doing this? All right? Jesus is calling us to the fourth quadrant. Jesus is calling us, it says in Matthew 16, to lose our life so that we can find it. To pick up our cross and to follow after him. These are people who see Jesus as worth everything and say, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to make uh, 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 tough choices. I'm willing to put in the hard work. I'm willing to have some discipline because in the end, I trust that when I do, on the other side of that is a joy that is unexplainable. And to you, to those who choose to live this life, you know what it's like? It is not watching a movie on Mount Everest. It is not just Google searching images of Mount Everest. It's not doing a book report on Mount Everest. It is climbing Mount Everest. It is hard. It is difficult. It is scary. Few people will do it. It's far easier to come here each week and talk about climbing Mount Everest than go climb it. Amen? But when we do, what do we experience on top? We reign with Jesus in glory. We experience a beauty and a life that is unmatchable. And here's the great news. We don't even have to climb it in our power. We climb it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the promise Jesus gives us is life. Man, I hope some of you believe this this morning. It's why as pastors, every single week, we are going to call you to follow Jesus as a missionary. Because we want you to experience. We don't want you to be bored out of your minds. We don't want you to be discontent. 
to walk around thinking your life sucks or just kind of even being like, yeah, it's kind of cool, you know, kind of cool. We want you to experience true, deep, abundant life that is found when we are walking with Christ on his mission. So each week, guess what we're going to always do? We're going to remind you, as we've been doing this whole series, the win is not getting people to come to this building. The win is whenever we equip you to live as missionaries outside of this building. The win is not us just getting people to make decisions. The win is helping you make disciples who make disciples so that God's glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is the mission of the church, guys. This is why Fellowship Paragold exists. We do not measure success. We do not measure success by addition. We measure it by multiplication. We measure it from the very beginning by making disciples who make disciples. By starting missional communities that launch new missional communities. And as we've always said, by planting churches that will go forward and plant more churches. Why? So the gospel of Jesus Christ will saturate every city and beyond. And as a result, people can experience the salvation and the satisfaction they are longing for. Amen? Anybody else get excited about this, by the way? So... The truth is, as Rusty comes forward, and you can go ahead and come on up, this is not easy. Just as him walking up on the... Oh, is there steps over there? I was about to say, as you walking up on the side of the stage, opposite of the steps. You made those steps, didn't you? This, this mission is not easy. Sending out and launching and, and reproducing new missional communities is not easy, right? Because you get to know people, you love them, and you're like, oh, man, I hate to see you go, right? Sending out Rusty and Cassie to plant a church, that's not easy. It's going to create a hole in our church. We've talked about that. Even though we're, we're about to hire another pastor that will come in, I mean, there's only one Rusty, there's only one Cassie right there. That creates a loss. And as we talked about on Facebook this past week, we should grieve that. That's, that's difficult. But you know what we get in the end? We get to embrace the mission that Jesus has sent us on, which means we get to experience more of Jesus' presence and his power whenever we seek to trust him over our own preferences. And so I'm going to ask Rusty, if you will, to share about the mission that God has sent him on. But I just want to say to you, man, and I know I've said all this privately, but I want them to hear it as well. Like, you have been, and Cassie, you have been a massive blessing to this church and to this city. I am a better pastor, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better friend, I'm just a better man because I know you. Our church is better because you've been here, our city has been better because you've been here, uh, and man, I am for you 100%, I would follow your leadership, and I'm super excited about what God's going to be doing in East Tennessee. So it's awesome that I get to kind of somebody's have a front row seat, I feel like, to watch what God's going to do. And so if you don't mind, would you just share with them your journey from East Tennessee, kind of here and back, what God's been doing, and uh, just how we can support and, and pray for you. Then Luke, after he's done, we'll come up and, and we'll lead in prayer, okay? Sound good? Jesus is really good news. And uh, we uh, moved here to climb Mount Everest with you guys, and I feel like that's what we've done. And we're going now to do it again. And um, my disclaimer before I begin to just share a little bit about our story is I won't say enough. And so 
about three years ago, I went and attended a a training for local churches and more of a traditional church setting that also included some uh, connections with church planning. But one of the things that the guy said that really began this journey is he said, when you go out and you begin to reach these people who are normally the people who are the outcast in this church world, he said, the first thing you want to do is you begin to make disciples if you want them to really grow is whatever you do, do not bring them into the life of your church. He said, our churches are filled with a, a phony view of what the gospel is, but even more, a, a totally, totally bogus idea of what it means to be a disciple. And so if you really want to make disciples who make disciples, then you need to keep them away from the church. Because what they're going to do is they're going to come into the church and they're going to say, oh, there's another way to do this. This guy's been telling me, deny myself, take up my cross, follow Jesus, climb Mount Everest, but now I see all these people and all they do is show up to an event and check it off their list. So you need to get them to it a little further down the road and then you can bring them into the life of the church. Well, I've read and studied enough of the Bible to know that is totally wrong. And so I have this strong theological bent and so I'm kind of sitting there, my blood's kind of boiling I want to to raise my hand and say, no, Jesus said that he'll build his church. And it's through the church that we see people baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to, to live this life that we're called to live. But at the same time, what was so hard is I completely agreed with him. I had seen people from my background in my settings be be become full of faith in Jesus and full of the excitement of following Him, only to think now all it meant to be His disciple was to attend a Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night service and serve occasionally on a committee. And so I was torn because I knew this wasn't the pattern that Jesus had given us for His church, and yet this guy was dead on the money. And and my heart that day began to stir because I knew that although there were some faithful churches to preach the gospel in our area that I was ministering at that time, that that this was largely the case. That there was a, a shortage, a famine, you might say, of churches who actually took following Jesus and the stuff of everyday life seriously. And took it seriously as a church. Not just sending individual Christians out into the world to do their thing, but equipping the church to be the church. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been there. They've encountered a Jesus that is merely a ticket to heaven, who gives you a few activities to fulfill while all you do is sit around and hope maybe he comes back because I've got nothing to do but twiddle my thumbs and manicure my lawn until then. We know what it's like to experience the real Jesus of Scripture versus whatever all this other stuff is, a man-made religion, political pep rallies, just being nice and friendly to everybody, brother and sister, and no idea what it looks like to actually follow Him like we see in the Bible. Yet we ache for it. Because this is what God has created us for. To experience the real Jesus 
as we become aware of who the real we are. So this is where we were. The only problem is, um, is that we had just purchased eight acres with a creek flowing through the middle of it. And on the back, had just built our dream home. And had lived in it probably about three months when that happened that day. Had told, and I don't know anything about construction other than what I've been forced to learn with this beautiful building. But somebody said, don't tell them to build the walls, whatever, 16 inches, but 12 inches rise. We just said, don't, don't spare any expense. We're gonna, I said, we're going to live here the rest of our lives. I promise. My wife can confirm that. I'll never say that again. But uh, in the middle of all this, we came across, as we searched frantically to find, is it, are, are any churches actually doing this, taking this seriously? And we came across the Soma family of churches, and I know many of you aren't familiar with that, but it's one of the, the family of churches, our primary family, I think would be fair to say, that our church is a part of outside of this local area. And we're like, these guys are actually doing this stuff. They're both not compromising the biblical truth of the gospel, and at the same time, they're living like missionaries to real everyday people. Because we had seen many of both, many people who are like, Doctrine, let's get God's word right. And then other people are like, who cares about God's word? Let's just love on everybody every day. We found these churches that were actually bringing these things together. And then we said, where's the closest one? And then we got connected with Arkansas. And then got connected with these guys. And then we began to to meet them and to get to know them and see, this seems legit. And I begin to share this with my wife, and you can imagine, after she's had all these custom-made cabinets put in and, and purchased tables to perfectly fit a room, and, and it was just amazing. And again, you can ask her to verify this. I was the hesitant one. The Holy Spirit was at work in her, it seemed like, almost even in a more powerful and persuasive way. Because just like Jared said, at the end of the day, you want to live for a piece of land? I mean, are you, is your life about a house? Some of you are living for the next couch you're going to purchase. And it's sad. And I don't say that to shame you. I say that because that was me. Figuring out how to just do what you got to do to say you're following Jesus, but we can have all this other stuff too. We can serve God and we can serve this American dream of where we just get everything because, hey, everybody else does it. Nobody else seems to be taking it seriously. And even if, if, we, do, if we just check all the stuff off the list more than other people, then, hey, we're doing pretty good. And Cassie could tell you, I just remember us one night just breaking down in tears. Is this really what we're giving our life to? Is that really the mission? And so not, and if you would have knew me, it wasn't like, yay, we're awesome, all for Jesus. You can ask my wife. We, we sold it all and then moved in to live with my parents a few months. If you've ever had to do that, praise the Lord. But, uh, and I love my parents. 
But here comes our family of five right in there. And we're going to Arkansas. Yeah, we don't have any jobs in Arkansas. <laughs> and nowhere to live in Arkansas. But we're not, we're not going to come to the end of our lives and say, Wow, did we not have a nice house? Who cares? And so we, we came. And Jared and Luke and so many people here. BJ, I remember John Ashcraft working to try to get us a job. Where he, I mean, it was just amazing. Is that this church embraced us as family before we were family. And that's what we're all about. We felt like we belonged before we even moved here and got a job at Allen Engineering, driving a forklift, learning how to do that, and somehow didn't kill anybody. <laughs> other than that one cover-up. But <laughs> here, here we were, and... Cassie was able to get a job teaching through some connections. And honestly, as I moved here, because we tried to implement some of these things in the church setting I was at before, because I wanted to do everything I could to not have to disrupt my comfort. And I, I mean, I, I was here like, hey, I may not even ever, I, I feel like God's calling us to plant a church like this, but we may never even, I might not even be a pastor again. I won't use Jared's bad word he used. Can't believe him. But I just felt like I stunk. I really stunk, but that word applies here too, is, uh, I mean, I was just like, I can't, I probably, if I can just drive a forklift in a factory, but be a part of a church like this, that's enough for me. Maybe God will do more, and so we knew we would never be anybody's heroes, but we just prayed that we could be equipped to be guides. As Jesus leads us up that Mount Everest mission, just to be a guide following him. And asking others to come with us. And so we came and it's, it's been worth it all. It's been really messy. Right? Climbing Mount Everest, you can just imagine. We haven't had to eat anybody yet. But sometimes, sometimes you feel like people are about to eat each other. Right? It's hard. It's, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't lie to us about that. If somebody's told you, follow Jesus, and you're going to tiptoe through the tulips, then they've, you've just not read the Bible. It's a cross. It's a denial of yourself. If you, if you think, I'm going to be a part of a church so I can promote myself, even sometimes so that I can better myself in the worldly sense of that, then you're going to be very disappointed. It's not been the video version there's this awesome video about what it's like to be a part of churches like this. And I mean, it's really good. But it's not, it doesn't capture the mess. It's not been the video version. It's been the real version. And for that reason, it's been all the better. In Acts chapter 2, we see the church. The pattern of the church is the church that's devoted to the apostles' teaching. I should, I should read this. I won't be able to recall it. Like Jared, but a church, devote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So as I said, not perfectly, but definitely, re in, 
really. We've been able to experience that here. And when I moved here, I just thought, is that even possible? Is that even possible? And I just want to encourage you guys, for all the mess that MC Life can be, what you guys have here, what we have here, I hate to not say we, it's not normal. It's not normal. Please never forget that. If you're like us, sometimes you might think, man, I'd rather just go check in on a pew and check that off a few days a week. I'd rather look at the pictures of Mount Everest and be a part of a people who study Mount Everest together and not have to climb it together. But it's worth it. Because as Jared said, we've been given this mission and as we live on this mission together, that Acts 1 mission, we begin to experience that Acts 2 church. And as our weaknesses are revealed, the good news of Jesus is made that much more clear. So we've experienced this, and I'll, I'll try to be quick. I remember uh, our first missional community was Epic, uh, serving foster families. And uh, there's this rough old dude, Zach Wilson, who had married a sweet girl, Janelle. But the way they got married was really unique. I didn't ask their permission to share this. They were, ba- they were babysitting for the bakers, <laughs> Bryson, I believe, and they just went to Reynolds and got married. Probably because at that point, Zach didn't want anybody speaking into their business. And he knows if he comes and talks to one of these pastors, you know, we're not just going to be like, yeah, whatever. No, we want to talk to you. Make sure. And so they just go get married while they're babysitting. Now, I've I've been a part of church cultures before where now what you do is you just talk about them behind their back, about how unwise they are. And you smile at them to their face pat them on the shoulder, and then you kind of just keep your distance. And it just blew my mind right off the bat because what uh, Grant led the MC to do at that point was to throw them an, an awesome wedding reception that they didn't even know about. And I just remember Janelle walking into the room, and Janelle probably is, knowing her, she's probably thinking, oh no, what are all these people thinking about me? Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Everybody look if you want to right now. She's there in the middle. But it's that she just walks in, and I think they would tell you, or I know I've talked to them, is that she just began to weep. Because instead of condemnation and shame being heaped upon them for just kind of randomly going out and doing their own thing while they're babysitting somebody, <laughs> is so if you want them to babysit your kids, you never know what story you might get. <laughs> it's just showering them with love and grace. And then to see that it wasn't just like a papering over anything or a look, you know, it's like then it's just seeing them brought, continuing to grow within a community of discipleship where it was very clear, you can go ahead and belong wherever you're at, Zach. And then over the course of the next year and a half, seeing this family grow in the love and grace of Jesus and now being able to lead an MC that's extending that same love to others. And in that missional community, being engaged with foster families, have them in our homes, to see them joining our MCs, to serving in closing closet and game nights, and on and on. And then launching out into our, our downtown missional community, uh, seeing, I believe, six people come to faith 
through that season. Just playing bingo with folks at Restore. They're having our open mic in this very room. They're now First Thursdays and being able to connect with the people downtown and already seeing two families becoming part of the missional community through those, not just activities, but a life that we live together. There's been a lot of conflict, a lot of meals, a lot of wishing other people might move, a lot of fun, a lot of prayer, a lot of wishing that I might just disappear. I mean, I'm just, it's, it's messy. I, I, I never want to gloss over this. But a lot of the Word of God and a lot of the Spirit of God, the real Jesus. I remember, I won't share the name, I just remember it, a, a family member we had prayed for, and we've not seen this person again since, happened because of some fluke vehicle problem, I think, had to come to a family meal one time. And afterwards, he said to his other family member, that was the weirdest thing I ever saw. <laughs> and she was expecting him then to say something really negative, And he said, I've never seen people love each other like that before. This is why it's so hard to leave you guys. It's we're entering a culture with a core group that, that this culture is going to have to be created that's why multiplication is hard. It would be so much easier for us to stay here. We don't have any conflict with anybody here. We're not leaving something. We're going to something. And Jared and Luke, I can't imagine working with two greater pastors than these guys. For all of the pranks they pull on me <laughs> and take advantage of my gullibility. And if I could share one story with you, but I won't. I cannot imagine a better mix of gifts and fun and relationship. And so this is why I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for the, the, the new uh, pastor, staff member that will be coming here. I mean, they just don't know how good they're going to have it. These guys aren't perfect. Share details. But they're, but they're real. And they're humble. And they're hungry. And they work hard because they love you guys. They love you. And that's one of the reasons why when we first, they first brought me on, I told them, guys, I don't feel released from God in this call. But they've made it really hard to not follow God. And I honestly at one point just had to say, you can't stay just because you enjoy their friendship and fellowship so much. That would be going against everything that we tell you guys when it comes to multiplication. Sure, it would be easier. Sure, I would know how I was going to feed my family in a couple months. Sure, we would have a comfortable existence. But God's leading us back to Cleveland, Tennessee. Cleveland's not our hometown. It's about an hour from where we grew up, but it's, it's where we did serve before. And as we've been a part of this church and seen the reality of following Jesus, we've just been convinced that that's where he wants us. And so from that day to our experience of, of our MC, one text has continually stood out, and it's Matthew 9, 9 through 13. It says, And Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And tax collectors were hated, hated dudes. 
just think kind of like white-collar thieves. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined, hung out at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors, the white-collar noted sinners, and sinners, just your everyday average, outcasts, rejects, people shamed by the world and especially the religious culture came and they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. I desire the love of God and not sacrifice, which in this case, because we've seen sacrifice, Jesus calls a lot of sacrifice, but not your checklist religious duty. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so as we thought about what to call our MC at one point here, I was just really thinking, that's what we want. That's what we want. Jesus at the middle and his good news of mercy and grace and us surrounding him as his disciples, but at the same time, us being surrounded with those who are yet to know him, who are far from God, those whom we've connected with in our everyday lives and on mission. And Kara Nolan said, why not Matthew's table? And as we prayed about what to call our church, this is what we've came to because this is what we want to do. It's our vision. That is our vision. We want to see those tables planted among the penny people groups of Cleveland, Tennessee. As we say here, one missional community, one table with Jesus at the center and his disciples surrounded him, planted among the the 100,000 plus people in Cleveland and the county that it's in. I'm going to be repetitive of what we say here because the real Jesus is, that's the real Jesus. But in the religious South, there are so many people who are broken and who feel so weak. They feel like they are the untouchables who believe that Jesus just wants them to get their act together. And if they can't do that, then fake it till you make it. They're the burnout people who are so busy. Some in church, some out of church. They've been through so much and all they believe Jesus is saying to them is, Do more. Try hard. Be better. Keep the rules. And then there are the bored people who were sold a vision of the American dream that now has them saying, now what? And they believe that Jesus only has something to do with a sentimental Sunday experience. And then there are the bitter people who've been through so much and hurt so deeply And they think all Jesus can do is get me out of hell later, later, but he can't help me now. These are the hopelessly lost of the religious South who when they hear the name of Jesus, they think, been there and done that. But in Matthew 9, we see Jesus leading a different way. It's where the broken find out it's okay to not be okay. But when Jesus invades your life, things don't have to stay that way. It's where 
the burnout find out that following Jesus isn't primarily about rules to be followed, but a joy to be found. It's where the board realized that Jesus doesn't just want to change our Sundays, but our everydays. And it's where the bitter find out that not only can Jesus save us from hell, but he can satisfy us now. It's where the people of the religious South are awakened to this gospel awakening that Jesus is not just true news, he's good news. And that's why we're willing to leave. Even though I told Cassie last night, I wish we'd have did this two weeks ago because it's like jerk your heart out, put it back in, and jerk your heart out again. So we want you guys to pray with us. We need you to pray. We believe, like Jared said, that God's mission can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe, as as sometimes we say around here, or someone said, making disciples, it's not hard, it's not easy, it's impossible. The Spirit has to work, so pray with us. And this sounds like some sort of shameless plug, but... Early, uh, a few months ago, before we... And we don't have a website up for our church, so I had somebody do a, a little landing page, and they said, you better call it RustyLangford.com. Now, if you know me, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. But anyway, you can go there. You can subscribe for our newsletter. So you can learn, get our monthly updates, and know how to pray for us. And we really sincerely mean that. There's also a link on there where you could click to give. Or an address. And I want to say this, don't say uh, we're going to give to you instead of fellowship, right? We want you to continue to faithfully give to God's ministry here because we're a, we're a part of God's kingdom together. It's not an either or.